What is crackalacking, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli coming at you without my fantabulous co-host, Adam Frommel. I am, however, super pleased and excited, as always, to be joined by Bleacher Report's Grant Hughes, a good friend and longtime colleague of mine. We, With the, the NBA kind of nearing the, the quarter mark of its season, we get into some big-picture questions related to the league at large, certain teams that are just bandying about our brains at the moment. We also have an in-depth discussion about Luke Walton being fired by the Sacramento Kings, the the process of that decision, what, what went into it, what should have gone into it, where they go from here. Uh, that was a great talk. The entire episode is just is awesome and, and tackles, again, some real macro issues, at least that are you know boring a hole in our brains. And we really get into the, the playoff pecking orders for each conference as well. If you're listening to this, the day before Thanksgiving, as you travel or on Thanksgiving, after Thanksgiving, whenever, however you're listening to it, happy Thanksgiving. And just a shout out to everyone who continues to rock with us. We'll be back to two episodes per week, I believe, next week following Thanksgiving. So you can look forward to that. And also, last but certainly not least, please, please, pretty please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Hardwood Knox wherever you're getting your podcast. Whether or not you use iTunes, we do ask that you head over there. If you have access to it, search Hardwood Knox. Throw us that five-star rating and write a review. It does not take long at all. And both the rating and the reviews can really help us out in the charts. If this is your first time listening to us because you stumbled across this, maybe someone recommended this podcast, whatever. Thank you for listening. Consider throwing us a permanent subscription. And to all our longtime listeners who have already written reviews and submitted reviews, consider helping us with the promos of this podcast, letting a friend, family member, acquaintance, random person on social media know about us and how pleasantly sub-mediocre our league-wide basketball analysis is. Without further delay, though, let's get to talking about some really fun, big picture questions and topics related to the NBA and the rest of the season with Bleacher Reports, Grant Hughes. Grant, welcome back. Thank you so much again for coming back on the Hardware Knox podcast to talk hoops with me. I think this is a good time as we lead into Thanksgiving and we're around the quarter mark to sort of just take stock of bigger picture things and just what are we asking ourselves? Like what are the biggest questions on our mind for the rest of the season, which is why I spammed you and asked you to come on this week and you graciously accepted first and foremost, though, we were recording this on a Tuesday night as the Knicks are threatening to blow what was a monstrous lead over the Lakers. How are you doing? Uh, Like the golden state warriors who I feel like we have to lead off with. If only with this mention, I'm doing fantastically. Just exceeding expectations across the board, confident, uh, assured in our greatness, and potentially getting better as the season goes on. And recognizing, like Draymond Green, probably that you're extension eligible this offseason. Uh, <laughs> definitely impacted your performance. You're so cynical. That's what a terrible thing to say. I'm sure that's got nothing to do with it. I actually, and I'm not even being a troll, one of the questions that I have to throw at you has to deal with the Golden State Warriors. But I wanted to ask you first about, this is dated by this point, but the Kings fired Luke Walton. Definitely not a decision that they could have made over the offseason. You needed the 17-game sample that he gave you the regular season to figure that out. Name Alvin Gentry, their interim head coach. What do you just make of the just the Kings organization at large at this point? Because this is, this is just so much. Walton probably shouldn't have gotten a job in the first place, just given the, the sexual assault allegations that were out there at the time and are still out there as far as I know. But he probably should have been fired already. He also wasn't like the problem getting rid of him is not the antidote. I guess my point. So I'm just curious, like what you think of just this entire thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, 
Well, where do you even start, really? I, I think, I think, pro- yeah, so yes, uh, <laughs> it made sense. It made sense to fire him, right? Because the Kings, I guess, are disappointing. As certainly based, based, you know, measured against internal expectations. I think it's, you know, some of the reporting that's coming out now and has been around for most of this year was that they really did want to make the playoffs this year, or at least get to the play-in. They're not currently in that position. And it sort of seems like they have the talent to at least be playing kind of level so yeah you get rid of them but then like you said and like everybody else has said how on earth have these three weeks a month of games I guess it's a month now you know meaningfully changed what you thought about Luke Walton coming into the season like everybody said you should have done it in the offseason like that's just Mm -hmm. what you do and I think the other big problem is it feels like for a while now the Kings have had a coach who was not hired by the general manager that's in charge and so it's sort of like, there's just a shelf life on, and that was the case with Walton and Monty McNair, obviously there's just a shelf life. I mean, it, things have to go incredibly well. It seems like for a coach that the GM did not hire to last, you know, his full contract or whatever, and they certainly can't go badly, which they did. I just think, you know, overall, it just has to be pinned back on ownership, right? Cause there's only one constant in all, in all this. And, and, it's just, you know, ownership, Vivek Ranadive being sort of the figurehead of all that has just been impatient. And and you look at all these other teams that have been bad, but bad, you know, as a means to an end, you know, to stockpile draft picks, to strip rosters down to, to whatever, you know, the Thunder, an extreme example, like the process Sixers began and ended while the Kings were dicking around trying to make the eighth <laughs> seed, right? Like th- that whole thing started and finished. The Rockets will probably be good before the Kings are good you know, and they, they're starting all the way over. So the unwillingness to just, you know, really commit to starting over, um, and then sort of getting it wrong when you've been bad enough to actually start over, AKA Bagley, um, you know, it's just bad luck. It's bad management. It's impatience. It's all that stuff. It's the reason they've got a playoff drought. That's, you know, almost able to legally drink. Yeah. And look, the, they've been probably they are where I would expect them to be about in the standings hovering, not inside, but wafting around playoff territory. I get that this stretch in which he was over, which he was fired coincided with, you know, they're one and eight. One of those games includes Walton already being gone 27th in net rating during that time, 26th in defense, um, 26th in offense and 21st in, in defense. So I get there was a level of underachieving. I think one of the, I agree with everything you said. The other issue here is that, there seems to be like this in a, he's impatient. Um, the Vec Ronadiva, the organization, the front office at large, because it's, it's upstairs at this point, but you also didn't make this decision until now you waited. And so you still have to pay him the same amount of money, like through this season and the next season, which is when he was under contract for. So don't understand that it's equally damning, if not more damning that they have no fucking idea how to self-evaluate because what about this team that finished 11th in the West, last season what did they do over the offseason that made you think hey we need to be a playoff team this season traded right. for tristan thompson drafted davion mitchell i know De'Aaron fox is a year older i know you kept Rashawn holmes i know Tari's halliburton's a sophomore i get that but you didn't do anything to really bolster the wing rotation and i do think there is a level of squandered opportunity here because harrison barnes and even buddy healed have played some of the best yeah. basketball of their career this season Rashawn holmes is just freaking solid Rashawn Holmes. Still probably the, one of the most underrated players in the NBA, even though I feel like 
there are, there's a whole subgenre of Twitter dedicated yeah. to talking about his push shot. Right. And what happens just that, what if Fox doesn't let, let, I mean, what if Fox doesn't suck to start the year for them? Are they in a different spot? And so I get like that level of what if ism, but they weren't, they didn't make enough changes and you couldn't see the path to a ton of internal development to the extent that they would be one of the guaranteed top eight, even 10 teams in the Western conference. And that's just incompetence. If you expected a lot more, yeah, you don't expect them to go through a stretch where they're one and seven. Uh, at the same time, your overall record is just kind of indicative of the talent. I would say that you have, maybe you underachieved a little bit. I would ascribe that more so though, to, to Fox's performance and maybe just like this team in perpetuity needs to put more of a focus on transition. And so I get there were flaws, but nothing to me happened this season justifies the timing of doing it now versus not doing it over the off season. Yeah. I, I, I would say the, the transition thing you brought up is a great point. Cause I feel like, you know, we've been, certainly I feel like I have, and most Kings fans have been harping on the fact that like, you've got De'Aaron Fox. And I think maybe last year they played a little faster, but you know, the year before that, and certainly this year, they're just like, De'Aaron Fox's best skill is his speed. He's not a good half court player because he can't shoot, especially this year. He's making like, I think under a quarter of his threes right now. Um, and so that's just not the way they can play as a slowdown game or any sort of set offense. The way for this roster to succeed is to have Fox run as fast as he can, as often as he can. And maybe Buddy Heald spots up and Halliburton spot, you know, there's a, there's like a theory of this team that makes sense. And I think if you were going to make a, a one significant criticism of Walton, while I agree, like he wasn't the problem. Um, it's that he just didn't have the team playing in a way that maximized the personnel that it has. Um, but then, you know, look, Fox just has to get better in year five or whatever this is. Like, you know, I feel like the last couple of years have been, oh, this is the De'Aaron Fox leap like, to all-star serious consideration, or at least I do that every year for the last two or three. And um, he's just been one of the most disappointing players in the league, I think, full stop. Um, Walton didn't, like, there wasn't anything glaring that that said he definitely should be fired, let alone, you know, a few weeks into the season. But you could also say like, he didn't really, if he had to sit down and make a case for like, Hey, this is why you should keep me on as the coach. Cause here's what I've done. Like he doesn't have a lot to say. I don't think during a pretty short tenure. Yeah. And so, um, Sacramento last year, they were eighth in average possession time, uh, per unpredictable this year, they're actually sixth. So they're a little better. And the frequency with which they're in transition as a percentage of their plays, they're eighth. Uh, and they're actually been fairly, they're more efficient than I remember in transition. They still just like, I don't know whether it's, if you're going, when they're committing turnovers, I feel like they're probably not pushing it hard enough. And I thought De'Aaron Fox made strides in the half court last year, but you already mentioned like his, his three point shooting is broken uh, among every single player who averages five pull-up attempts per game this season. There are 59 of them. Fox's effective field goal percentage on pull-up jumpers ranks 57th. It's sub 39 right now. So, so those are issues too. And it just felt like there wasn't, even if they were playing at a faster pace, it almost felt like there wasn't a, it wasn't true transition all the time. If that makes any sense, it felt like it was just more early shot clock opportunities that might fall under the transition umbrella or semi transition stuff where they maybe weren't even necessarily getting like the best looks up there. So the fact, I guess the, the bigger crime is whatever you want. It didn't feel like they had any sort of identity 
on the offensive end. And they just haven't had a defensive identity for, for quite some time. And I'm going to this. They were better defensively over the past couple of weeks. Maybe that's a function of their competition, but like last year, they just, they switched just basically everything. And it was just, it was a disaster. And I think you look at their personnel, even with the absence of those truer wings, I don't know that I look at this team and say they should be bottom five on defense. No. Well, we're bagging on Fox. I have another one. There, there's 19 players that have taken 300 shots as of today in the league, and Fox is among them. And he has the worst true shooting percentage behind Russell Westbrook of that of that group. And and to, again, to your point, Fox should be a good defensive player. He's he's long for a point guard. He's super fast. He put on like he should be much better. He's not a good defender. Like and so, they they just maybe that's on Walton, right? Maybe like these guys just not playing to the level of their potential or whatever skill they have is falls to him. I don't know. Although Tristan Thompson has a lot to say about whether, whether you need a coach to motivate you or make you passionate or whatever, whatever that was. Was, was he wrong? No, I, I don't. Maybe I mean, the I, messenger was odd, but was he wrong? Because one of the things I took issue with the is messenger's very odd, by the way, is I saw, you know, I think Rashawn Holmes came out with the most ringing endorsement of Walton, but like everyone said, it felt like they had this meeting where they all agreed the party line was we have his back. So that yeah. rings hollow to me in the first place. However, there are people that point out like, hey, if they say they have Walton's back and he resonates with the players, I'm, I want to make it clear that I'm not typically this person. There is no one on this roster. And this roster in general is not good enough to have a fucking say on the head coach. You don't get yeah. to have a say. I'm the head coach. You guys, you're terrible. Like you don't, <laughs> no one should have the leverage to be like Luke Walton needs to stay. And so if that's part of the reason why they kept Luke Walton over the off season, I'm not pinning it on the players. This is front office. Um, Vivek Ranadive, everybody up there first and foremost needs to be blamed, but the players and their feelings about Luke Walton, like they don't, uh, to me, like they're irrelevant just because the kids yeah. are not good enough for anyone to have that type of input. Yeah, it makes you wonder. You always did hear rumors that Fox was very much in Walton's in Walton's corner, and maybe maybe that's hit more shots. Walton. Then you want well, Walton yeah, to stick around. Hit more shots. You, you want you want this coach to stay. Maybe maybe that's part of what kept or got Walton. You know, didn't didn't get Walton fired over the offseason. As Fox was like, I'm coming off 25 points a game. This is my guy. I'm gonna you know I'm gonna blow up. Not saying this obviously you know specifically, but he could have vouched for him then because Fox has a lot less clout now. Uh, on a max contract, by the way, which that's looking a little scary. Um, than I he still did, believe, you know, uh, I want to believe it's just, it's been tough to watch this year. It really has. I don't know. I don't, it's one of those things where you almost expect like some unexpected piece of news to come out. We're like, Oh, he's, he sprained his ankle in training camp and it's been, you know, bothering him all year, something like that, just to have a decent explanation for what's going on. Yeah. I mean, look, he's, his shot selection has always been a little bit iffy. I feel like he has a loosey goosey handle this season more than ever too. And he's exchanged both looks at the rim and three pointers. And those have just translated into more mid range jumpers, which yeah. even if he's hitting them at a slightly above average clip uh, relative to the rest of the league, that's just not the situation you want to go to. I also wonder how much he's been because his rim frequency is down a little bit, not a ton is ton. Excuse me. His finishing around the rim has dropped a bunch and he's not getting as, as many free throws. His free throw attempt rate has dropped by not a huge margin, but by more than six points. So yeah. is he being impacted more by the rules? I don't think it's on a level or scale of James Harden, but is that part of it? I do think his shot selection is like 
is not great. <laughs> yeah, I, I think well, like his his foul drawing, you know, certainly two years ago and last year was pretty close, like elite. Like he was really really good at taking contact and finishing or getting to the line. Um, and I just think anecdotally, I think I think you can't rule out the way that the officiating has changed uh, for anybody. I think that's a real factor this year. Um, I think it's a good thing, by the way, but I think it has affected stuff. The numbers bear that out. You know, offense is way down, free throws are down, all that stuff. Um, but I, I think he looks, he doesn't look the same. He's not, he's not, uh, that burst isn't there as often. Um, he's not just launching into guys, taking contact and finishing as often as he did a year ago. So that's why I keep, I wonder if, if he's, if he's all the way there physically, I just, I don't know. And yeah, it goes beyond like the, just the free throw volume too. And his free throw shooting has never been great. No, that's another problem. Uh, But like the, because I guess they're tighter with the whistles, it's harder in general to finish around the rim. And we've seen, I think it's creeped back up, but like the, the average percentage of shots that are going in around the rim rim has dropped dramatically i think we've we've obviously seen the bigger drop off from three-point range for now we'll see if that goes up uh but that could be another factor of it too and look he look he hit like 40 percent of his step back threes last year and it was like a real weapon in his arsenal yeah. so i'm hopeful that it'll come back and to what you said i do that i didn't really think of that maybe there is something where it's like a sprained ankle or or wrist and we just don't we don't know the full extent of it right now just making excuses just <laughs> I, I will start off our big picture questions though with one about the Kings. Okay. Will they be sellers at the trade deadline? Because they can't be buyers. I guess unless you want to involve yourself in the Ben Simmons sweepstakes. So if you want me to frame it as are they going to be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline? And I don't mean to, I have a couple questions about the trade deadline. I don't mean to force this to the fore of the NBA discussion because I know there's a huge section of fans now that seem very anti-transaction. Like it is something in the back of my mind that I'm thinking of, which I'll I'll talk about with one of my other questions. With this team specifically, though, it's just like you're so aimless right now when you look at the talent on this roster. I don't there's no clear path unless you shut everybody down to just go bottoming out and getting another top pick. And then also you're just not good enough and even young enough because okay, you have Mitchell and Halliburton and even Fox, but where is the internal growth coming where you're going from 12th to seventh or sixth, whatever it is? in the West. And I'm not saying you need to look at moving Fox. I would say Fox, Halliburton and Mitchell should be viewed as part of your core, unless you have the chance to acquire this transcendent star. But when you look at Harrison Barnes is going to be the name that comes up. Buddy Heald is going to be a name that comes up. I'm with Rashawn Holmes is just older and he's a great player. Is that someone you look at moving as well? And so I'm curious as to what you think is going to happen or what you think should happen with the Kings as we approach, not approach, but as we get closer to the deadline in February. No, it's a good question. I think um, I think the Walton move is the move you make before you start pulling those triggers. Um, and I think Alvin Gentry will get a chance. First of all, interim head coach extraordinaire. I've read today this is the fourth time he's taken over a team midseason. Right. He's yeah. just no better guy. Just I also read that he's, he's, in for. he's worked in some capacity for nearly every organization in the league at this point. Isn't that wild? he's i mean he's like the ultimate journeyman he's been he has been it feels like he's been everywhere in the last five years like let alone the preceding and he 20. yelled at david griffin for playing piano in, in zion williams's room for him <laughs> which didn't actually happen apparently but it's something no. he yelled at <laughs> so i think i think interim head coach extraordinaire alvin gentry is gonna get i don't know because the kings are so fickle he might get like 
two weeks or three weeks. And like, if things don't look markedly different, then yeah, for sure. Because like Buddy Heald has been the subject of trade talks for uh, two, really since he signed that contract. Since right? he's like been for, in New Orleans. Since, <laughs> forever. Um, Wasn't that and, pick actually traded to New Orleans? No, no, I can't remember that. I'll look it up really quick, but I'm pretty sure Buddy oh, Heald has just been part of the trade discourse before he was even in the NBA. Well, I mean, if he was, it makes sense because it was his rookie year that he came over in the Cousins deal. Uh, so, and then, yeah, from, from, from that point on, it was, a, it was straight. Maybe there was like, I feel like there was a grace period where Kings fans were excited about him went like midway through his rookie year. Cause it's like, okay, Oh, he we was, got this. He was not traded to the Pelicans. They, they drafted him. So I overstated my position there. That's okay. Every, nobody's going to remember. So, so him for sure. Harrison Barnes all for sure. Holmes could help a team that's trying to win, uh, or has a better chance of winning. I, I do think. I laughed at this when people were saying after the Kings picked Davion Mitchell that Fox might be on the way out. Like, I just thought that was ridiculous. I just thought they believed he was the best player there and it made sense. And that's, but now it's kind of like, it's a little plausible, I think, just because if, if you're really maybe, so this is again, giving the Kings a lot of credit. If this is, if this is now, okay, we're tired of half measures. We are like, we're stripping this to the studs. We don't think Fox is a max player. That's a, we made a mistake. We, you know, there is going to be an offer out there for him. Like might've been nice to get Ben Simmons if that were possible a few months ago. Um, but I think Fox is possible. I think healed Barnes to a lesser extent homes are going to be, are probable like that they will be on different teams after the deadline. I think that's how I'd frame it. I think if we had to rank them, it feels like it'll be Barnes is most likely followed by Heald, Holmes, and then Fox. I wouldn't be opposed to a Fox trade, I guess. I would. I still wouldn't move him for Ben Simmons. I don't know. I mean, maybe, and the Celtics aren't going to offer you Jalen Brown. I, I think, and it would also, like, what, what is your end game at that point if you're moving Fox? You, I think you want the pick special. I don't think you want the player unless he's, unless it's Shea Gilgis Alexander, maybe. And even that is just like, well, he's on his max deal too. He's He's super young, but how much closer does he bring you to, to winning? And so I think I would need like, you know, what if Oklahoma City decided they just want to pair Fox and Chelios Alexander together and you can get Giddy plus, you know, a few of their trillion picks that they have. I'm just, I haven't thought about Fox trade destinations because I wouldn't move no. I'm still so high yeah. on him. But yeah. I think it would need to be that situation because I think if you're moving Fox, wouldn't the goal be to bottom out? I, I guess it, it depends yeah. on if there's another star that becomes available. I what I'm curious is to whether anything nuclear goes down with this iteration of the front office, because at this point, I know this, this is McNair's first coaching hire. It still feels like we're at the point where we're going to be looking at his body of work. And so he is very much going to be like, you know, executiving for his job. Yeah. Although he's drafted well. I mean, he's he's had two good, two good drafts. I think, I think he gets Halliburton credit, right? Cause he was installed. Maybe I don't, maybe I'm getting that wrong. But you know, I'm not I think giving Vlade Divox credit for Tyrese Halliburton. No, so. no, Marty, he gets credit for Bagley. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that would be the thing that I'm curious about because I still think it's more likely is the way I'll frame this. I actually don't think they're going to end up doing anything nuclear. It feels like it's going to be very much to do about nothing, like last year's trade deadline. I do feel like they're more likely to go the Ben Simmons or Pascal Siakam route if Toronto decides to to make moves than they are to not only not even Fox, but I still think they're more likely to go the 
we want to acquire a high impact win now player than they are to even trade Harrison Barnes. That just, and maybe that's me just being subscribing too much to the Kangs mantra, uh, mantra. So I, you know, I, I don't know, but it, to me, it feels like they're still, I don't know if anything's going to materially change in their direction while this front office is in place. And maybe it's not even the, the fault of McNair, but it's just, you've now been there so long that I don't know if you're going to get the opportunity to hit reset. And I do think they had the opportunity to hit reset under McNair a couple of times. Now they very yeah. easily could have done it over this off season. They very easily could have done it at last year's trade deadline. Yeah. You said it initially. They're just not like they, they are poor self-evaluators. They just didn't quite know where they were or where it was reasonable to expect themselves to be. And now this is, this is what you get. Do you have anything less depressing that you want to ask about the remainder of the season? (laughs) (laughs) The remainder of the season. I don't know. Um, I have a Western. We're talking about the Western conference. This will switch gears a little bit, but uh, I think that there are clearly three top teams in the West right now. And this will be uncontroversial. It's golden state Phoenix and Utah. Um, However you want to look at it, record net rating, just the general vibe. I mean, the, Sons of one, what is it? Is it 13 in a row or is it 10? Some to 10 in a row to record this, it'll probably be 14 after Wednesday, would be my guess. Yeah, so so the Suns look every bit, you know, defending conference champs. The Warriors have have been great, the Jazz just are what they are. Who's the fourth best team in the West? Because I I have one, I think it is, and I think I talked them up last time. Um, but there's like six teams you could pick realistically. I just like who is the other home court advantage team in the West? And while you think about it, I'll give you mine. And I think, and I don't feel great about it, but I kind of think it's the Clippers. Um, the, Did and you just decide of, to pick the current fourth place team? You didn't even think no. about it. You just saw they were in fourth. Yeah, no, I just looked at, they have these things <laughs> called the standings. And I was like, hmm, who's behind those three teams? There they were. No, I, I, cause I think kind of maybe one of the more logical answers would be, or not logical, but you could see someone saying the Lakers, you could see someone saying, well, Denver or Dallas. I mean, you know, Dallas in theory, it just has Lucas ankle sprain. It's not like they're dealing with Jamal Murray and Michael Porter jr. Being out forever like Denver is. So there's, there's some options. Um, but I just, am kind of in the bag for the Clippers. Uh, and I'm, I am a hundred percent here for the Paul George actually is a number one option Renaissance tour. Uh, that seems to get seems to have been kind of put to bed over the last couple of years. I'm on a resurrected. I think my answer would be the Nuggets if we didn't have the news that Michael Porter Jr. now may be out for the season, in addition to uh, Jamal Murray maybe missing most of the season. And I just it feels like they probably lack even with Will Barton playing so amazing. The fact that their bench is so beholden to is either you know bones highland gonna go off and that's basically right. like that that's the question <laughs> or what <laughs> yeah uh, or what are the green the green green minutes look like defensively when they're gonna be your two bigs it puts them in a really iffy proposition but nicole Jokic is so good that it would not surprise me so i want to pick them i will not pick the mavericks because i just they are like the most blah team over 500 to me for some reason i can't i can't explain it and i'm not trying to maybe maybe i'm just you know predisposed to dislike jason kidd I won't apologize for that, but I, I'm still going to go with the Nuggets just because they've been so good on defense. I think Aaron Gordon is probably, if you made an all defensive team right now, uh, he would, I think he would make one of my two. I haven't dug into it. He's been so good for them. And like, he's been defending point of attack stuff. He's been doing that for them since last season. It's probably something he's done uh, underrated for a lot of his career. 
if they're going to hold there, I have to imagine the offense reaches some sort of stabilization and they're not like incapable of doing something. They do have, you, you probably can't trade Will Barton at this point because you don't have Murray or Michael Porter Jr. And you're not, you just signed Gordon to an extension. I think it was such that he can still be moved. You're still just not going to move him. But you can kind of, between Monte Morris and the Greens, that them on their contracts, you can stepladder your way to an Eric Gordon trade is something that I thought about for them. I, I just, I have a lot of faith in them after, despite the struggles we've seen from the bench, I think it's because of how good Nicole Jokic is and just how, I don't, I don't know if I want to use the word legitimate, but I do think, and we're recording this, they've lost four in a row. I think that their defense is going to finish markedly better than league average. And that to me gives them a pathway. But even as we record this, the Blazers have kind of perked up. I totally right. see where you're coming from with the Clippers. And I don't know if you've dug into like the Clippers defense. It's second in points allowed per possession. They opponents are just shooting. And I thought Paul George has been pretty good on defense this year. They're shooting nine points better at the rim when he's on the court and like 10 points better from beyond the arc when he's on the court. I haven't been able to figure out like what's happening there, but his defensive splits are just wild. And I know that's a team wide thing. And so you look at the lineups that he's in, I just don't see anything that it should be this demonstrative red flag for that. I just saw those differentials and there's, I think when you see certain numbers, even those swings, you're like, Oh, okay. You know, looking at Stephen Curry and improving the Warriors effective field goal percentage by 8 trillion points. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. But when you see that opponents are shooting like so much better from basically every spot on the floor with Paul George in the game, it's like, all right, well maybe is it because they're not starting Terrence man, Marcus Morris has only played in two games. Is there something there? It's just very confusing. That's not a question unless you have the answer. (laughs) I, I, well, I would say I'm, I'm always, I think, First of all, we're still early enough in the year where opponent three-point shooting that could just skew a, a guy's entire on-off, and he's just he'll have nothing to do with it. You know, right. like to 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 take another team to to use Denver as an example. Right now, if I've got cleaning the glass updated to today, which I think I do, as we're recording, so opponents are shooting thirty-three percent from deep against Denver, and that's the fifth lowest mark in the league. They're shooting sixty-eight point nine percent at the rim. Opponents are against Denver. That's the worst mark in the league. So meaning that's the nobody, nobody allows opponents to finish better at the rim than Denver. Uh, so if we're talking about Jokic and so much has been made of his improved defense and stuff, I, I got a real, I'm concerned with the, the at rim finishing of opponents. And I think, and this is the, the caveat you throw in for every single team and I keep doing it and I hate myself for it, but I can't stop doing it until we're like halfway into the season opponents are going to shoot better from deep against the nuggets and their defense is going to get worse. Like that's just, you know, we said it about the Knicks last year and it kind of never happened, but it sort of has this year. I think if I'm remembering what the numbers are, Um, the Clippers just feel a little steadier to me, but I think maybe to put a bow on this, like I was asked today, actually, which conference is better the East or the West. And it's always been the West. And now it's like, we're struggling to find a fourth, very good team. And the East, you know, like Milwaukee's out of the playoff picture, I think right now, for example, and the Sixers haven't been good, but like, I think the East's way deeper with teams you could realistically envision, you know, making a conference final. The West is like suddenly crazy short on those kind of teams. I just, it's surprising as like sort of a macro thing to look at. Like we finally made it, like we finally made it to the point where the West is not clearly superior, both in like top quality and in depth. 
I still might prefer the top quality of the West just because Utah, Phoenix, oh. and Golden State. But yeah. the East is definitely way deeper yeah. this year. And a quick and dirty look again at the Paul George stuff. The Clippers are allowing opponents to shoot sub 60% overall at the rim and sub 34% from three. Those are low enough marks to where the swings kind of represent that you're working from this elite baseline. And yeah. I'm sure every starting lineup member has been somewhat impacted by that. That's a great question though. So you have Clippers. I cautiously say the Nuggets. I, th- I think the Clippers would probably be choice too for me. I don't have faith. And this is coming from someone who just assumed the Lakers were going to beat figure it out i don't yeah. i don't even have a question for them there's no we want to know what's going to happen but like i don't know that you can expect it to get that much better i mean we've seen the lineups with lebron russ ad and then no bigs have done really well are they going to be healthy enough to sustain that do they have the personnel to sustain that what does the defense look like long term i i just have zero faith in the lakers is my point right now and i i predicted that they would hit their over. I think they were at 53.5 wins this year. I said they were going to get to at least 54. I guess they are the team though. I guess you would look at as I, how many times am I going to say, I guess, while I make this point that maybe could sneak into that because it, it yeah. doesn't, it feels open-ended, but also if you told me it was Dallas, that was fourth or the blazers, I might feel like it was a stretch. Maybe not. I don't know. No, the, I mean, I don't really have, Uh, an overarching thought or question for the Lakers either, but like it feels so I've been kind of harping on this and I, so LeBron's average shot distance, have you been like, have you seen this reference, you know, this year as an indicator of his decline, that's like finally really happening. His his average, his average shot distance is 15.2 feet. Uh, It was 13, nine last year, 12, nine, the year before 12, three, the year before 10, nine, so obviously we're trending up and he's never had anything over 14, let alone a 15 feet. He's taking half his shots from three, which has never happened before. Um, let me make sure that's exactly correct. Uh, but anyway, he's taking the highest share of shots from deep uh, that he ever has. Um, and you're seeing, I don't know if this is just my Twitter silo or if it's gotten into yours too. Ours can't be that different. Um, there's these clips of him just not finishing at the rim, like getting, you know, having his being deterred or not elevating. There's just all the, all the, the decline in athleticism stuff, all the signs are there like visually and statistically. And so while I want to pick the Lakers as a team, that's like, yeah, they'll just, I mean, LeBron will figure it out. It's happened every year for 20 years. Uh, They have Anthony Davis. They'll, they'll somehow go get a wing. Um, Well, they'll figure out how to use Russell Westbrook as like a pick and roll big man or something. the LeBron decline, which is, it's like, it's real. It's finally really happening in demonstrable ways. Like that kind of rules that puts a big dent in, you know, feeling confident about putting them up, uh, you know, in that consideration. I don't think like I could go probably six teams deep, I think in the West before I would get to the Lakers, uh, you know, in that hierarchy, just, just based on right now. Cause you know, maybe they will figure it out, but I'm, I'm less optimistic than usual about them. And these. That's not a hot take, is how it no. the nothing you said there no. is spicy. Yeah. Common sense. No, it like it had to happen eventually, right? If we but it's just we thought the LeBron decline would happen seven years ago. It's just it, it just had I'm, to happen eventually. I'm still hopeful that maybe he'll just be fine, but I, he's gonna turn 37 in December. Well, I, don't, I don't know. It it was it's going to happen if it hasn't happened already. Yeah. I have a similar question here to what yours was for the okay. West. Who are going to be the six playoff teams? 
in the Eastern Conference, like the six non-playing playoff teams in the East. Because as just we record this right now, only five games separate 13th place in the uh, five and a half, 13th place in the East from first place in the East. And so there's some level of egregiousness there where it's no, the eight and 11 Pacers are not going to catch the top seeded Brooklyn Nets. Just at the same time, there might be what, two to three formalities in that top six of the East? Who, so who are, who are you going to pencil in as the top six? And you don't even have to give me the order, but who are going to no. be your top six in the East? So my top four, I feel pretty good about, which are Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Philly, and Miami. I probably feel the least good about Philly just because, I mean, although the offense somehow stays incredible with Embiid out, I don't understand how it's happening. Tyrese Maxey uh, is a superhero. Um, and then my fifth in that group is the Bulls. And that will probably come as a surprise to anybody that heard us talk about the Bulls at any oh, yeah. point over the off season <laughs> or for the last like two years. Um, but they feel pretty legit. The six team is really hard. And for me, I look at my candidates are Atlanta and New York and Boston, which is, that's a lot of shade at the wizards. Um, but I'm going to need a little longer. I'm going to need a little more before I believe that that's real. So against my better judgment, and maybe because we spent a lot of time the last time we talked saying the Hawks were maybe the second best team in the conference, I'm going to stick to that. And I'm going to say the Hawks are going to be a top six team in the East. Uh, but that's that defense has to get a lot better for that to happen, even though I think they've won four or five in a row. Um, so that's my top six. Do you have anybody different? I have five that I've penciled in. Brooklyn, okay. Miami, Atlanta is still one of mine. Milwaukee. And then I have Chicago because maybe I'm just doing too much of the walk back since I yeah. was so critical of them over the, the off season, but they're at least what, when you look at defensively, they are exhaustive when you just, yeah. when you look at how they're guarding the perimeter. And so just between Caruso and ball Javante green being there, they've people have mentioned this ad nauseum, but I'm pretty sure Derek Jones jr. Has finished more plays as the role man this season than he has in like his entire career combined <laughs> in the previous seasons. I've not checked that, but so they've just found a way to win in spite of the Patrick Williams injury, in spite of Kobe white, not making his season debut until forever in spite of Nikola Vucevic entering league's health and safety protocols and also not hitting shots when he's playing. And I do, as many have pointed out, there's a chance that DeMar DeRozan regresses because when you look at what he's done, offensively can this hold for the entire season yeah. we've seen other players offensive efficiency go down with the new officiating and i know his game was never conducive to a certain necessarily style of getting calls but like his efficiency has gone up and so just yeah. at his age the stage of his career that seems like a red flag at the same time the bulls have the ability to shoot better from three uh and then if vooch when he if he's going to be healthy and shoot better that's another level that they can get to there's still moves that they can make at the trade deadline. Like maybe you spice up your center rotation a little bit. Can you pick up a wing at all? I don't, I don't know. I'm just going to put my faith in them. The sixth team is so hard. It's between the Knicks, Boston, and Washington for me. I don't think Philly's going to get there. They're, they're cute. They're quaint. They've just had so many different, and a lot of it's you know, the players in the league's health and safety protocols. How many games is Joel Embiid going to play in? Can we count on Seth Curry yeah. to be in the most improved player conversation? Maxi feels he's been so good, but can he maintain this for the, the whole level of the season? 
I think, and maybe this is me getting drunk on the early season returns. I, I think I'm putting Washington in there. Their, their defensive progression feels real and they've done it. Their success overall this season, they've done it without Rui Hachimura or Thomas Bryant. And then Thomas Bertans was both terrible and is currently not playing. Uh, I think he has an ankle injury. Well, and Beal was not good for their offense three weeks. is frighteningly average. They should yeah. be better than than average. No, and I think we didn't. Look, neither of us mentioned the Hornets, by the way, who are currently in the top six. Their defense sucks. Their defense is not close to good enough. That that's I love. They're one of my favorite teams to watch this year. I think I probably watched as much of them as almost any uh, non Golden State team. Um, but they just like they if they if they are not in the bottom 10 defensively at the end of the year, I'll be very surprised. They just don't, they just don't have the, the personnel. Um, that That's why I don't have them in there. Yeah. They're sitting fifth right now. It just seems so stupid to exclude, to not pick the Knicks feels weird. They eventually have to, I know they beat the Lakers after almost blowing a huge lead. I, they have to do something about the starting lineup. I don't, I don't, their offense is well above average this year, but it just still feels like they're not, great on that end and they have sacrificed on the defensive end in part because opponents are hitting a higher clip of their threes something just feels off in new york i don't think they're bad i'm not dumping all over i'm not saying they should blow it up although maybe i'm like 10 days away from doing that as the the knicks fan in me freaks out over every single (laughs) loss but uh, something feels off there ditto with boston maybe now that jalen brown is back they'll settle into a groove their defense even though i feel like they switch too much has been great this this season. Marcus Smart is just, he's a beast. Um, it'd be nice if he hit more shots, of course. And then even like, I feel weird. They've been bad and disappointing even when you cake in the injuries. But like Indiana has a lot of quality players on the roster. And so it's just hashing out the top six. And even if I told you to hash out the top 10 where you only had to exclude two or what was it, three of these teams, it still just gets like, you know, if it's Atlanta and Indiana or let's say it's Cleveland and Indiana that like maybe you feel good about leaving those two on the outskirts of that conversation, but do you really? <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Like, I mean, you, so just looking at it now, as you were talking, I was thinking like, there's like, I like Atlanta and Toronto and Indy and they're all outside the top. They're all out of the plane right now. Like, so as you assume, certainly Atlanta has to get back into that, into that top 10, top six, I think for both of us, but, but who's getting kicked out? And I think Charlotte probably is one of the I'm most likely there. candidates. Cleveland. I love they, Cleveland, but they Cleveland might be like a for real 500 it, team. It's just Sexton's out for the year. It feels like injuries are going to catch up with them. How well are they going to play during this stretch without Mobley? And even yeah. marketing still out. I still don't necessarily have a ton of faith in the three big lineup, even if Allen and Mobley make right. a lot of sense. And the other thing is just once Mobley comes back, is there a rookie wall here at all? Because that's a real thing. Like ro- mm-hmm. elite rookies have tapered off in the past. Maybe there's not, but man, they've been so Garland has made strides. As well. Garland is really good. Garland is really good. Teddy I'm, I'm Osmond's hitting off the dribble threes. Um, Ricky Rubio has been just great as a steadying hand, and he's even hit some difficult threes for some reason. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, like, what's eight, eight of them in, in one game, I think, if I remember. Against the Knicks, the three-point <laughs> yeah. defense that apparently keeps on giving. And they've also played a really tough schedule, mm-hmm. which matters yeah. because eventually that will all even out as we get later into the year. But they've played among the harder schedules. So I don't want to write them out completely, but I do think eventually j- the injuries and just the youth 
will catch up with them a little bit. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 the funny thing is, so if you think Indiana is going to get in there and maybe Toronto and Atlanta, I keep looking at Washington as the team that's going to fall out. And I just, I, I, maybe I need to watch them more. I don't know. I like, I definitely am receptive to the idea of if you trade like a negative player kind of in rust and you get back like half of a rotations worth of like decent to above average NBA basketball players, your team gets better. Um, and like you've added it. I don't know. So I, I just need to be convinced by the wizards, but yeah, the East is the, like, honestly more compelling. I think for all of these, like, we don't, we don't know who the best four, who the best six, who the best 10 teams are. It's great. Do you have another one? Any other questions? Oh, let's see. I say um, that we've only done like four questions over 40 <laughs> minutes because that's how we roll. Cause we spent 37 of those minutes on the Kings just cause <laughs> that's what gets, that's what gets all the, that's why the people come to this burning. podcast. This is a NBA slash hybrid Sacramento Kings podcast. Um, I have an open-ended one for you and, and this will put you on the spot. Cause I don't know what my answer is. Do you have a favorite player to watch so far this year? Like someone, you know, not like, I think Giannis is good, you know, but like not Steph, but <laughs> is there someone that you've watched more this year that you're like, I, I, you know, you find yourself clicking through league pass and it's like, I don't really care about this team. I just want to watch this guy play. Yeah. Uh, Frank Nielakina has been Dallas's best off season addition. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually not. So that is true. He's not I know that's true. Question. That's why it's so funny. That's why it's so funny is because you mean it. It comes from the heart. I love it. <laughs> so these are, I, I still think I'm, I'm skewed by just, larger body of works from the past. Steph is my favorite player to watch maybe of all time. And it just no remains doubt. that way now. So no he's doubt. still someone I chopper in this season. And I feel like I grown more appreciative of how he plays with each passing year. I really enjoy watching Devin Booker. There are just mm-hmm. wrinkles to his game that I feel like I fall in love with more and more last year. It was just like the manipulation as, as a playmaker, the reads he's making, how he keeps defenses, on their toes, his ability to get guys when he's snaking pick and rolls, it'll get guys on his back hip. This year, I'm just like noticing his open floor acceleration feels underrated. His movement off the ball feels really underrated. This is just a you can quibble over whether you think Chris Paul is more important to Phoenix's success. He doesn't turn the ball over. He shoots 100% in the fourth quarter. So there's there's an argument to be made there. But Devin Booker is just I'm still not sure. We, as the NBA media outside of Phoenix, understand just how valuable Devin Booker is just by being on the floor, even when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. And I think his off-ball movement, threat level, and just the, again, his acceleration, where it's like he's not, you don't look at him sometimes and think he plays particularly fast, and the Suns are not trying to play exceedingly fast. But if you put him in the open floor, or if you give him space in the half court, on the ball or off the ball, like he can change speeds so quickly and effectively. And so that's just someone as I've continued to, to chop her into, I, I've really enjoyed someone else who I'll say that. And I think this has got to be low hanging fruit at this point, Evan Mobley, my God, yeah. and maybe the shock factor there, because I was not super high on him coming out of college. And again, I was not a draft expert. I also feel like maybe I subscribe too much to the idea of why are we using this high pick on a big who doesn't, isn't supposed to stretch the floor right away. I had nothing. I watched nothing. I read, maybe I didn't read enough ever prepared me for what he was going to be like defensively. And I think summer league prepared me for his playmaking a little bit, but even that has just been revelatory. And he's one of the him and Jared Allen together too, to see like these, especially a Jared Allen where 
I can't, I think it was Justin Rowan of the chase down podcast made this point because the way fouls are being called have changed. It feels like screeners are becoming more important since we were at a, a, a point where James Harden, like the Rockets, when he was in Houston, they didn't even have, when they had Clint Capella, it was just like, you know, hang out in the dunker spot. Don't set screens yeah. because they didn't. And then go, it. and then go away forever. So we can <laughs> right. So those are three guys. Steph is always just going to be up there for me. I, I lo- and I love watching so many players, but Steph is just, it doesn't matter who he's playing, who's playing around him. It doesn't matter to me whether the Warriors are winning by a lot, losing by a lot in a close game. He is just infinitely watchable. Yeah, full, full agree. I love, I love the Mobley pick. I definitely, if the Cavs are available, I'm, and now I'm not going to be watching them until he's back, but um, my, <laughs> my, my deep cut, my deep, deep cut is Herb Jones on the Pelicans. Oh, now, man. if you've never watched the Pelicans, like, good for you like you shouldn't be watching them yet but this guy's like i you know we still don't have the metrics to measure this but you know, or definitively but like on the ball i just there are not a lot of guys that cause as much trouble as he does there's clips out there of him like stealing twice from i think it's tyler hero just ripping him on consecutive possessions and then he blocked a paul george three in like a high leverage moment the other day um he's he's just like just a phenomenal defender that if he could hit a three, I think he's, I think I saw the stat today. He's five of 16 on threes this year uh, in whatever, you know, he's taking one a game basically, but you could almost not draw up a better compliment for a Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson core than a dude who can guard every position at an all defense team, all defensive team level. And like maybe make 37% of his open threes. Like that's just your guy. That's, that's who you need. So that's my, my deep cut, um, kind of in line with your Devin Booker thing. Uh, it's Zach Levine for me. I Ooh. I was super late. I was a Zach Levine denier forever. I just thought like still I don't know, less I, harmful than a than a COVID nineteen <laughs> denier. Just a little, yeah, out. like a little in, ter- in terms <laughs> of a public from a public health standpoint, like a little bit. Um, he's just so there's really not an offensive skill that he doesn't have at like a B plus level at worst, you know, like his pull up threes are super quick. A plus super plus accurate. Plus those, a plus yeah. plus plus at everything. Um, he, I, I used to ding him cause it was, he seemed like a guy that he had assist numbers, but you know, it wasn't ever something that seemed like it seemed like bad assist or bad team assists, you know, like he's got the ball all the time and he's driving into three guys and throws it out and someone hits the shot. Um, I think I was wrong about that. I think I was wrong about him being terrible defensively. Like he's trying harder. It seems the last couple of years that's been a trend. So I, I just, uh, yeah, I, this is going to be like my bulls apology tour. Cause Zach Levine's really, really good. I have nothing bad to say about him anymore. Uh, and the bulls are good. So those are, those are my, my, my top liner is Levine and my, obviously like I have to say John Morant too, because I feel like John Morant does seven, physically impossible things some of which are not baskets you know every night he's reached like a steph curry level or the tier below of just have to watch and you're right like highlights of misses just dunk yeah what do we call the misses dunk attempts are highlights it's not dunk it's dunk attempts he's the best dunk misser of all time there's never been anybody better at missing dunks than him my my deep cut by the way would be the Orlando Magic starting five, and if I had oh. to narrow it down from there, it'd be either Cole Anthony or Franz Wagner. They've been mm-hmm. that that lineup by the way with Jalen Suggs struggling has pummeled opponents this season. But just Wendell Carter Jr. looking at the basket, hitting threes, making quicker decisions. Mo Bamba's looked like an NBA player for much of this season. Cole Anthony has some serious juice 
off the dribble. Franz Wagner is, he has more, and I, I think I said this on the podcast, more fuck you to his game than I ever really imagined. Like, dudes will mm-hmm. bounce off his shoulder. He had this like driving, barreling dunk against the Knicks a couple weeks ago. And if Orlando yes. only played the Knicks, they would probably be a championship <laughs> contender. So they've they've been, they get tough to watch on some nights, but their level of bad, because when you look at Houston, and even when you look at, I'm trying to like think of another, Detroit is right yeah. there. And I, I think we're at the point, no, Houston, Detroit, like those are not teams that I necessarily want to, you know, watch regularly. Right. Even the Pelicans, I'll watch Orlando regularly still because they've yeah. that lineup is fun. Once you take that lineup off the court, you're probably switching channels though. Right. It's easy to be, it's much easier to be optimistic about Orlando than some of those other teams you mentioned, just because it does seem like they have a handful of guys where like, there's something, there's something there, you know, like has Wagner just like, has there ever been a rookie that arrived more like, you know, as advertised, like his whole thing was he's going to fit in. He's going to make some, makes, make some threes. He's got a little off the dribble. He's not going to be a star but he's going to be awesome as like your third or fourth best player. And he's already that like, he's just, he's stepped into the league and he's just sort of good at everything. He's a perfect role player. This meanwhile comes after a summer league performance in which they had to replace the rims after every quarter in which he played because he was just (laughs) bonking so many shots. Right. Yeah. Uh, He's, he's a, he's, he's the type of guy that like, you're like, God damn it. I don't want to take him, you know, in the top 10 because he's the upside just doesn't quite seem to be. Maybe we're wrong about that, but, uh, but boy, is he solid. If he were, I mean, he could play 25, 30 minutes for like almost, you know, almost any team. It seems like, I mean, he, he, he would have a place just about anywhere. It's very rare to, to say that about a rookie. I was convinced he couldn't play the three. And if you need more evidence that you shouldn't listen to my, my draft takes, <laughs> that would be, that would be another one. Here's a question for you. And it sort of lines up with the Eastern conference packing. I mean, we mentioned pretty much every team during that discussion. So it's probably hard not to line up with that. What are the Raptors? And I'll do you one better. Why are the Raptors? Why are the Raptors? This this team, as a detached observer, is killing me. I probably had too high expectations for them coming into the season. I know Siakam missed time. I know that uh, their recent slide has coincided with uh, OG Ananobi's hip injury. But, like, I they're too good. I mean, just when you look at what Gary Trent Jr., has been able to do for them this season. How are they? And they've quietly just, I think everyone assumes that they're good on defense this season and they've had their moments, but they're not. They're bottom five in in points allowed per possession at this point. And they're actually, you know, we talk about the, during the King stretch that got Luke Walton fired, since I just have that pulled up, this wasn't something I intended to look at. It's just in front of my face. The Raptors have the worst defense in the league. Again, Ananobi has missed time during that stretch, but, what are they? Should they be better than this? And is this a team that they they don't feel like they're this is not the kings of the east? And I would hazard they're not even the Pacers. They don't feel like they're gonna get caught up in the chase to be seven or eight. And so I'm wondering if you think they should or could foresee a scenario in which they're at the deadline and they're looking at becoming sellers. And what does that even look like when you take stock of their roster beyond Scotty Barnes? Well, as I have to for all this stuff, uh, I start with opponents are hitting 37.8% of their threes against Toronto, which is the fourth highest rate in the league. So that's one thing. Um, Their defense is kind of baffling. And I I was working on something the other week and the stats are still essentially, uh, they still bear this out. So Toronto is the number one offensive rebounding team in the league. And 
they also somehow they're very talented inexplicably, missing. inexplicably keep teams out of transition like to the second first or second lowest frequency in the league so which i would the case i was making is that that speaks to like they got a bunch of six six to six you know nine great athletes that can cover a ton of ground because i don't know how else you lead the league in offensive rebounding rate and also never get run out on something like that doesn't compute you can't have bodies you know on both ends of the floor at the same time they also force a ton of turnovers which i think also speaks well that's a lot of that's gary trent being like juiced up on battery acid when he <laughs> plays defense but uh, did you see the author he who must not be named is this what i'm going to say because i've not agreed with a lot of the things he's written in the past of their defensive ladder uh defensive player of the year ladder wow i can't talk because i almost know the author of it gary no. trent jr was third on his early season dpo i thought that was a little ambitious like period like for the whole league or on the third. raptors no, yeah, <laughs> okay. no for the whole league he was third yeah, i have an issue with that so but <laughs> So you're just to your point about him, him forcing turnovers. Yeah, he forces a lot of turnovers, and if that's, that's classic, if that's thing, oh, look at how many steals he's yeah. averaging. Rankings. Yeah, I mean, like I might point to OG Ananobi as a slightly better defensive player of the year option. On, I mean, on Patrick Jr. has been really good on defense this year oh, too. Sh- I thought, sure, sure. I know it's you know third. <laughs> it's a little. It's a little oh, wait, wait, third on the team that ranks 25th in <laughs> Yeah, he's really making an impact that Gary Trent. Uh no, the Raptors are confounding and I think like you know I've just been in the bag for them forever. I, there's the championship hangover even without Kawhi and Ibaka and Gasol and you know Lowry now like basically that core is not really there. Um but I think Nick Nurse is a good coach it doesn't make sense to me why they're so bad. Cause they have so many players. I like, you know, like I like Siakam, even though yeah, I guess, I don't know. Is it cool to be down on Siakam now or, or where are we as an NBA collective? It feels like we were over the moon in when he broke out and then suddenly he was overrated and suddenly he was exposed in the playoffs. And now like, I don't know what he is, but I still like him. There has been an overcorrection, I think on both sides to where people, and maybe I fall into this spectrum are too intent on defending him and what he can yeah. be and what he does, even when he's not at his best. Then there are just people that are too low on him. Yeah. I would absolutely give up real stuff, assets to acquire him if he's available via trade. Yeah. That would not be a, if I'm the Kings or if I'm not, I've thought a lot about the Timberwolves. You know, you mentioned Ben Simmons, Ooh. but like Siakam and Towns, yeah. something that would be exceedingly fun. There are probably other teams that would obviously fall into yeah. that. So, so I like him. Everybody loves Scotty Barnes. I, I love Ananobi probably him. more than most. Yeah. No, you don't move any of those guys. So I think ultimately there were rumors that like, well, obviously they sort of packed it in last year, right? Like they, sort of. they, sort of, they, they very much packed it in last year. I think they could sort of to very much pack it in this year. I don't feel like they will be house cleaning. Cause I don't know. They, I like their best players. Like, I don't, I don't know. Unless you're going to trade Van Vliet, maybe like that's you or Siakam. I certainly Barnes and Ananobi are going nowhere. So if you're going to make a significant move, it'd be one of those two older, uh, you know, high end guys. I think they're more likely to tank and try to get another high lottery pick. And then suddenly you've got Barnes, Ananobi, whoever you take fourth or fifth or whatever, depending on your luck and Van Vliet and Siakam. And you see what you, you know, I, I think that's more likely. I, I think they'll be better. I would like, I, I just, it doesn't, again, it doesn't compute why they aren't better. I just, I like so many of their players. I like the coach. Um, I don't know. Chris Boucher is making you sad too. I understand. Yeah. Chris Boucher is making me sad. Yeah. 
Um, Kim Birch, everybody loves Kim Birch. Although now I think Kim Birch has become overrated because for a while there, Kim Birch was the guy there was like, you know, who can Kim Birch kind of had Rushon Holmes's corner for a while of like, there's the center that nobody knows about. That's actually he's right. not as good as Holmes, obviously, but Birch was that guy for a while. And now I think it's like, mm, not a great option for a lot of minutes at center. I, I would, I think I fall into what you said and they have enough tantalizing young talent or in established talent that you can probably get away with saying, Hey, Van Fleet, Siakam, Ananobi, take, you know, March through, or excuse me, take like, you know, yeah. March through the rest of the season off or whatever. I do wonder if they should look at, because they do seem like they need a, a more, I don't want to say traditional presence in the front court, because I'm very, I like unconventional front court. You just don't view Siakam as someone who can be your every rep center, which they do not. I think that's been pushed over the past two, if not more seasons, maybe you do look at moving him. And I would be fine adding another top pick to this core because I'm with you. I like all their good players. It's tough to imagine them moving Ananobi. He's on what might be the best contract in the league when you look at the extensions that, when you look at the extension Mikael Bridges got and you look at the money that Miles Bridges is about to get. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, Fred Van Fleet, I could see a scenario where they move him, but I feel like they're married to him pretty firmly if you don't take Jalen Suggs and it's not to say that they should have that Suggs will be the better player if anything Barnes has clearly usurped him at this point the fact that they went the Scotty Barnes route it yeah it informs about how they want to build their team but I also think it instructs how much they really like Fred Van Fleet and so Siakam sort of seems like if they're going to make the big move that selling move that would be it because they're clearly not going to be buyers I just still if they're healthy I could see them making a run and again, they're as we're talking about them, like this is the route they're going to go because they're 12th in the East. 12th in the East just means you're, you know, two and a half games out of fifth place right now. Yeah, right. Exactly. So they're a team that could go on a tear, I think, and re enter the discussion. But if you get closer to the deadline, I'm just curious if his name gets floated around. And I, there should be interest because there are teams that I, I could just rattle off that I would be super intrigued to, to see him on. I agree. I agree. Um, I have, I have like a a handful of like little things that have been bothering me type things. I don't know if they're big questions, but they're stuff, stuff based on really grinds Grant Hughes's gears. There's what, yeah, grinds my gears or not even really. So I've been thinking about the jazz because you know, they're just sort of a plug and play. We're going to win a bunch of games and be a top four seed and we're good at both ends. Um, but I find myself being weirdly, uh, and they have the second highest differential in the West and in the league, actually, I think behind the Warriors. Um, I'm a little annoyed that they're not like meaningfully different from last year. So like their big, their, their big acquisitions, I guess, were Rudy Gay is number one and he's only just recently gotten back onto the floor and they haven't used him at center at all yet. I kind of thought that, you know, I think we all could have agreed that after last year, you know, a, the Jazz needed better perimeter defenders, or at least like healthier ones in the playoffs. I guess if you want to be charitable, or, and B, they needed a way to play smaller. If if that you know if they just couldn't figure out how to make a conventional lineup with Gobert in their work against certain playoff opponents, like you just had to have a changeup. You had to have a second option. Um, and I thought Gay might be that. That seemed like a weird stretch to think he might be your small ball center or like Eric Pascal. Like that's not he's he's not a playoff caliber small ball center um they didn't do that they didn't get any you know shut down wing defenders um on the cheap which is not easy but they didn't 
Um, so I'm wondering what your thoughts are on Utah. Cause I'm kind of at the point now where it's like, it's not just wake me up when the playoffs start. It's almost more like, well, I just, I don't think anything's going to be different unless Donovan Mitchell like levels way up and then, then, then nothing, that other stuff matters less. But um, I'm kind of disappointed in them, even though I'll acknowledge like how obviously really good they are. Yeah. I would probably share in everything you said. I think Rudy Gay is just going to help them even when he's playing the four because he's so long and that gives them a dynamic uh, mm-hmm. as an alternative to Bojan Bogdanovic that they don't necessarily have. And even maybe Joe Ingles because he's old and, and slower, but I do yeah. think whatever you're getting from gay, you do have to worry about like Joe Ingles aging or Mike Conley is anti-aging right now, but what does he <laughs> look like defensively in the playoffs? I think Donovan Mitchell's gotten a little bit better defensively. What's weird about them, and Zach Lowe has pointed this out, is like they're 11th on defense, which feels low for them. And that's getting good backup center play from Hassan Whiteside, where that just makes so much more sense than the the Derek Favors fit. And I think, look, a lot of it is just like the the Jazz are, it's not talked about, at least not something that I see nationally talked about a lot. Their transition defense is bad. They mm. are... Um, 28th in transition opponent transition efficiency um when it's off steals they're 29th and off live ball rebounds they are 19th and so they do do a good job of limiting the well no they don't even do a good job of limiting the frequency with which their opponents are in transition um 17th overall which is just sort of blah so that's screams we need more but i mean it, it could be a matter of there are plays where you're just like, okay well why aren't they back but that screams more like we need faster, quicker guys on the wings. And it's invariably going to get to a point in the postseason where it just feels as if Royce O'Neal and Rudy Gobert are going to have to do too much heavy lifting for this team. Yeah, I just, uh, I, I, I kind of like always bristle at like, well, what's the trade that this team is going to make? Because you just never know. But like, I don't know. I, I feel like Thaddeus Young's going somewhere. Like maybe he's your your option to play smaller if you want to. But I don't know who the shutdown, you know, who's your wing, your your guy you're going to put out there that's like a little better than Royce O'Neal, you know, or just to put out there with Royce O'Neal in certain lineups against, you know, certain playoff teams. I don't know who that guy is that's available out there that, you know, might might be potentially gettable for like a, a protected first and Jordan Clarkson or whatever. Hey, I wondered if Jordan Clarkson was enough to get them Josh Richardson after last season. Then he got moved from Dallas to to Boston, and I don't think that's something Boston's going to – they already have Dennis Schroeder. You don't need Jordan Clarkson. Yeah. You could still look at – speaking of that, like Reggie Bullock has not been shooting well for the season. Is that – and the, the Dallas does need like a secondary creator, but Jordan Clarkson has played or shot so poorly this year yeah. that you just mentioned is him plus a first-round pick. What does that exactly get you? I thought about Maxi Kleba too, but he has slowed down a lot. I thought last year was a combination of COVID and injuries, and he's been banged up this season too, but he doesn't look the same defensively either and the player that the jazz need is the archetype of player that every single team in the nba right yeah maybe it's a harrison barnes destination he's not a shutdown guy but he'd be you it's know, just, he what switch, is the what around. is the package there? yeah i you don't know Clarkson it, salary and i guess you could step like you know clarkson and joe ingles is the, why would the kings do that right right yeah you if you're the kings you're just trying to i think well who knows we, we just spent a long time saying who knows what the kings are trying to do but yeah i'd, I'd do want the kings know what the kings are trying to do no yeah. that's the whole problem no i don't know um you got anything that was my jazz question we're really hitting all the teams that people care about we got the kings we got the jazz well, i have a team that you're gonna care about and i promise i'm not trolling i'm not trying okay. to start this narrative but it's about the golden <laughs> state warriors and i want to uh-huh. point out 
that they are first by a mile, I think, still in defense. Are they not? They have the top overall net rating in the league. And the other thing that, yeah, their offense ranks highly, but they have the best half-court offense in the NBA right now. So this question feels stupid. Do they have enough secondary shot making to be this big of a threat in the playoffs? And look, they have won the non-Steph minutes, which is absolutely huge. And their offense has crept up to closer to league average in those minutes, by the way, 107.5 points per 100 possessions. That's the 42nd percentile. I will 100% take that when Stephen Curry is not on the floor. I think it comes down to whether you believe it, and it's not even a Clay Thompson question for me. Do you think Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole are enough to shoulder that burden? And if you say yes, is it mostly because of how the Warriors play? Because you don't look at them as when they had Kevin Durant, there were situations where it was like, all right, we need that guy to just go and get a bucket. They don't play a type of style where that's necessarily what you ever look for. At the mm-hmm. same time, I do think it's it's an element, a dynamic of of an offense that you need once you get to the playoffs. So I think that's a great question. I think, I mean, coming into the year that, well, there were a lot of questions because who knew like what Otto Porter or Nemanja Bielitsa or any of these guys had, if Iguodala had anything. Um, but the, the shot creation behind Steph Curry was a huge deal. Um, and Poole has been the main, you know, sort of guy who's addressed that. Um, and we, you know, he and Wiggins, I think both had 30 the other night when Steph had a bad night and they won. And then Poole had another 30 when Steph had 12 points against, I think, Toronto. Which help does Steph need? God. Well, that's the, so that's the answer that, or that's the question. So <laughs> if, if you're talking, if you're talking about like, do they have enough with just these guys? And we'll, we'll just say Clay, Clay's not a shot creator. He's a guy whose gravity facilitates shot creation elsewhere on the floor, but he's not you have the ball at the, at a dead stop at the top of the key and you have to make a thing happen. And he's, like, he's he'll not probably that. be even less. So that player, oh, now, yeah. unless you're posting him up all the time or something. He was, yeah, he was a functional pick and roll guy and he could throw a quick pocket pass. And, but that was like, it was mechanical, not great. Yeah. Ruling him out. I, I, so in a playoff series, you're only going to need eight minutes, you know, 10 minutes of like serviceable shot creation when Steph's not on the floor. And if you have a really good defense, which they do, and I think that's very sustainable, um, your bar for how many shots you need to create and how efficient you need to be with those shots is even lower. So I, I guess I'm saying that the answer is a qualified yes, but only, and it's not like, oh yeah, I think Poole is the second coming of CJ McCollum, very different players, but just the idea of a guy who's like, he can kind of hold it down for, you know, several games at a time if Dame Lillard is out type of thing. Like, Poole is not at that level yet, and he's a very different type of player. But Wiggins can get you a slightly below average efficiency shot, like, whenever you need it. You know, he can get to his off-the-dribble two-point jumpers. He can, you know, go get fouled. There are ways for them to score. Uh, And I think just because they don't need very much and they have a little shot creation, I think I feel pretty good about saying yes they, they they do have enough um but obviously you know it it's it, you'd like it to be a little you'd like the answer to be like an unqualified yes but i think you got to have like a couple of little qualifiers on there for now this has been a common refrain throughout this podcast i agree with everything you said <laughs> with that said i it is still giving me pause if the question is are they prohibitive title favorites right now and i'm just not at the mm. point 
I would still consider Milwaukee, Brooklyn, and Phoenix over them. I'm not, I wouldn't definitely make that my answer. Right now, I think Phoenix probably comes closest to me wanting to put them over the Warriors, but it's iffy enough of a proposition for me to, to think about it that way. That's still, you know, they might be an Alec Burks away from being the yeah. title favorites, which is not the end of the world. And you can still win a title if that's your defining flaw. Yeah. I think too, you might, you could make the argument like they've got a, they're like 11 deep and really more than that. If like Jonathan Kaminga has played in short bursts and had like a handful of like, Holy shit, this guy can do some stuff athletically. Um, he's been playing more than Moses Mooney, which is kind of surprising. I think to a lot of people, um, but you might see more from Kaminga as the year goes on. But the point I'm making is they got like 12 guys. So they're really well equipped. You could put a dozen guys on the floor right now and like get something out of them in a regular season game. And that doesn't mean anything in the playoffs. You need eight, you know, you, maybe you can get away with seven. And so I think there's a case to be made that the Warriors, especially because they're so hard to scout and they play so differently than every other team are kind of a regular season monster right now. Cause like, you're just not going to be ready for them. And they just have ridiculous depth of like this guy's pretty like Gary Payton the second has won them you know changed games for them and he's their well I don't know 10th guy maybe he's in eclipse um, with hands he, he so yeah I would talk about Herb Jones like you can't dribble around Gary Payton it's like not allowed <laughs> <You're> not, <laughs> he, he, it's, it's it's strictly against the rules um but yeah so, so I, I think I think a regular season they're I, I think they're gonna win the most games in the league um and i I don't know. I think I agree with you that they're in the class of like, yes, this team is a contender, but to say that they deserve to be at the top of that list, like with a gap between them and two, three, four, I'm not, I'm not there yet either. You've also mentioned the great point about, they don't really have the ability to shorten their rotation when they're at full strength. They can, but it's besides Steph, Dre and Wiggins. Who's the player you have clay coming back from injury. So it's not going to be him. Like what is the 35 plus minutes per game? fourth player on this team if you get to that point right i mean that's a real question because it cannot be iguodala damian damian lee's real real good 15 to 20 minutes he's not your 35 minute a night um clay's not going to be there that's that's really good i mean you might look at them i don't think they're going to do anything um but they they look like a team that is kind of ripe for a consolidation type of move like i don't know what packaging a bunch of minimum salaried vets that are pretty good gets you but the minutes somebody's going to need to eat, you know, when this rotation shrinks, someone's going to need to play a lot more. And they, they, that's a great observation. They don't have a lot of like auto Porter's not going to play 30 minutes. He can't do it. Uh, and physically Jordan Poole might give Steve Kerr a heart attack. If he's playing 35, plus Dr- Draymond green might strangle him on the floor. Like <laughs> the, that, I, that's a problem. I couldn't bring myself to ask this question as we wrap up about them, mostly because I don't have an answer to it. Has their start made it more or less likely that they would make a consolidation trade because there's the element of, yes, there should, you know, you can win the title. Now you should make that move. If it's available, then it's also like, we have the best record in the league. We don't have clay yet. We don't have Wiseman yet. And the other question on top of that was, are you at all worried about how Wiseman's return could end up impacting like the juju they built? Because their, their progression, what they're doing now really started last season when they began playing without James Wiseman. And yep. maybe they're at a point where they have the luxury of just saying, well, we're not going to make him a huge part of the rotation. Then we have Kavon Looney, Draymond at the five. We've gotten good minutes from Nemanja Bielitsa. At the same time, if you end up basically punting on the first two seasons of his career, then that becomes this huge deal that you have to tackle. 
they're punting. Like, so this is, okay. the, this is the big, <laughs> this, I, I, every time. So especially out here in California, like, and I'm sure it's national too, but like, Oh my God, the Warriors are getting clay and Wiseman back. Can you imagine? It's like, no, 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 no. The, the Warriors are getting clay back and Wiseman Wiseman will also be healthy at some point, but to like equate the potential impact of the two is insane. Like Wiseman made them worse last year. He's not a good NBA player, like let alone a good NBA player that deserves minutes on a team that's got the best record in the league and is like killing every other good team it plays. Like Wiseman is go so they've learned they they're in a position now where they're not gonna that's so there's a lot to say it's tempting for sure because you could be like they're this good and you could trade Kuminga and Wiseman and a pick and really get no worse at all in terms of your encore product this year and add somebody at a decent salary that's really good like you could go do that right now and make this team way better um I don't think they're gonna do that because it seems to me like Joe Lacob is like yeah, it's like, this is my flex. Like we're having it both ways. Like we are going to be really good now. And we have three or four guys that are 23 and younger that we think are going to all be the Kawhi Leonard to Steph Curry's Tim Duncan. And like, they're, we're all, we're just going to be great forever. Like that's the vision. That's the light years vision. How re- how reasonable that is, is we can talk about that. But I just think uh, Wiseman is, is not someone that they're going to play out of a sense of obligation because they've learned that that was a mistake last year. And Kuminga is kind of setting a tone. Like he's, he's earning minutes right through, through practice. And he's been very limited in what they're letting him do. And I think that will be the Wiseman approach. Like if he, cause like it should look, it should not be hard to get Kevon Looney's minutes. Um, like he's just, he's a stop. He's an, the ultimate stop gap. He knows how to play with Steph and he doesn't need the ball. And like, those are his two. And he's a good perimeter defender for a center. Like those are what he does. So Wiseman should be able to take those minutes, but they will not be given. Like there's just no scenario where he comes back and is in the rotation, like in a meaningful way until he just catches every lob, gets every rebound. They're going to totally baby step him this year. I think. Um, Which is the right call. Yeah. Why, why, why give him, why, why mess around with what's going on? Just because you feel like you have to, prove that you made a good pick last year it doesn't make sense it is bizarre in the sense that when you talk about clay you know he's going to take someone's minutes i'm still trying to figure out who gets impacted the most by yeah. returning with wiseman it's not only we know who would be impacted the most but you would be in theory okay with it come on yeah. minutes would go down he's right. just not based off what happened last year and how they're playing this year i don't know what his fit is fun warrior stat though by the way their defensive rating against top 10 offense of this top 10 offenses this year is better than their defensive rating against bottom 10 offenses. So just the type of season that they're having. Yeah, that's a that's a real, that's a dynasty Warriors move right there where they just, well, they're doing the third quarter thing too, where they'll play down to the level of competition and they have like six minutes in the third quarter where they just nuke whoever's there. You know, that's, that's another, I have to say, um, there's a lot of like weird little quirks that I forgot about from the half decade dynasty thing that are kind of back this year, which has really been like, a lot of the fun part of the it's, season. It's is. so much fun. I don't like the, there has been this like creeping narrative of look what they were able to do, like just to stay relevant this long and like, without really sacrifice. It's like, no, they had a two year. Yeah. Like, they were yet. 15 and 50. Yeah. <laughs> there was 15 and 50. It wasn't a traditional rebuild, which is But like, this is not a team that was actually, they endured two yeah. years worth of irrelevance in the standings, let's say, yes. because they were still relevant. 
culturally, yeah. aesthetically. But Grant, this was great as always. A lot of fun questions here. There's still so much that I just don't understand about this season as we get to the quarter mark. Everyone follow Grant on Twitter if you've not already, at GT underscore Hughes. Uh, he will sometimes retweet people's tweets or he will sometimes tweet himself. <laughs> It's always a treat when you see a Grant Hughes Twitter activity pop up in your feed. This is Thanks such a-, a hard sell for you. Such a hard sell for you. <laughs> Thanks so much again for coming on, though. And Grant, have a happy Thanksgiving. And for anyone listening to this before Thanksgiving, hopefully maybe while you're traveling or hopefully you don't have to travel at all, happy Thanksgiving to you all. Be safe, have fun, eat lots of food. And until next time, I leave you all with a shout-out to the one, the only, Dallas's best off-season edition, Frank Aquino. <laughs>